It's the biggest sale in the history of the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We've moved every car, truck, and SUV to the Lloyd Mall. That's every new and pre-owned vehicle under the tent and onto the parking lot at the Lloyd Mall. Test drive while your wife shops. Test drive while your husband shops. Test drive while you shop for your new Nissan. Save on your new ride today. The big tent event from the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. On now at the Lloyd Mall. The new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We won't sell you a car, we'll help you buy one. At Jason Arden and Associates Cooperators, we're proud to be a top-rated local insurance company that offers flexible solutions and expert advice for all your insurance and investment needs. We'll work with you to tailor your insurance specific to your needs, and we offer investment advice that always puts you first. At Cooperators, one of our core values is to support the communities we live in. When you support Jason Arden & Associates Cooperators, you are supporting local nonprofits and initiatives. Since 2020, we have donated 60000 to local nonprofits, youth sponsorships, and various special projects. When was the last time your insurance company did that? This is Lloyd Minster's show. This is local that matters to you. Local people. Local events. Local news and sports. For Lloydminster and area, this is Live with Kurt Price from the new Lloydminster Nissan. Hey, welcome inside the new Lloydminster Nissan, where once again, you can see behind us here, you can clearly see that uh, chuck wagon, and boy, it's almost chuck wagon season. We're just a, a couple of uh, days away, actually, from the first chuck wagon race in Canada here in Western Canada, but you can see behind us there because we've moved all our vehicles down to the Lloyd Mall. We, this is our final week for the Lloyd Mall tent sale, so if you're looking for a new or pre-owned vehicle, you will find our great selection and our fantastic sales team down at the Lloyd Mall and I know they would love to see you today and I know they're very excited that it's not as windy today uh, living in those tents for uh, 12 hours a day that it is not nearly as windy today. Danny Hozak is our guest today. He is uh, seeking a nominate. He's seeking uh, your vote on the 29th here of May in the Alberta provincial election and we remind you that advanced polls are open right now. We're going to talk to Danny here in just a moment. I do want to let you know about a couple of things though including our friends at BioClean Disaster Services if or when a disaster happens in your home call a local company that is committed to taking care of you and your family called BioClean Disaster Services they're a local company that is respectful and thoughtful when it comes to understanding the frustration at having your world turned upside down. The work gets done on a timely and careful manner, and they'll keep you informed on the progress. And when they're done, you'll be very impressed with the results. If and when a disaster happens in your home, call the experienced professional team at BioClean Disaster Services, 1-833-246-8326. Our next Feed the Farmer winner is Allison Weaver. Congratulations to Allison. We're going to be out on... Well, tomorrow already, delivering a fantastic roast beef meal. What we do is we have a delicious hot roast beef meal. We pick up some buns at Sobeys here in Lloydminster and some delicious salads that have been very, very uh, popular. We head out to see Allison and her uh, crew have a brown noon and uh, the tent guy set up tables and we have some great uh, local sponsors like Eggland and BASF 
and in vigor and Richardson Pioneer that show up with some fantastic gifts and uh, some prizes for our lucky winners. Plus, everybody that's nominated is entered in to win a quarter of beef. And we don't just have one quarter of beef to give away. We have two of those to give away. And there's only one more meal. So we got Allison's meal uh, coming up here tomorrow. And then... Uh, we have one more meal to deliver, so that means you can still nominate a farmer. Get them in for that meal that will deliver right to the field as they're seeding or right to the yard if they are done. Uh, Allison said they are not done, but they are close to their yard, so it'll probably be uh, in their yard uh, tomorrow. And uh, it's one of the things we look forward to each and every week. Thank you to all of our fantastic sponsors. Uh, Diamond 7 Meats does a fantastic job on that uh, roast beef, and I mentioned the salads that are fantastic. And uh, at Nissan here, we're just really, really excited to be a part of this again. Uh, Reynolds Plumbing and the uh, To the Core Pilates and Nutrition are holding a block party on June 9th from 4 to 8 p.m. That's on 51st Street and 55th Avenue. It's their annual ultimate block party with music, games, face painting, and an obstacle course. And there's beef on a bun available with a minimum $5 donation to the Interval Home Society. Uh, the scoop is also going to be there, but it is a huge fundraiser for the Interval uh, Society as well. Uh, Chase the Ace is back. You can now purchase tickets. And once again, they are one for $10, three for 25 10 for 50 or 2400 go to lloydx.com e-transfer to chase the ace at lloydx.com and cutoff for that is noon on draw day with the first draw coming up on may the 31st here they've also seeded the chase the ace once again at twenty five thousand dollars twenty percent of the weekly sales won every week will go to uh, the winner, plus there's 30% that goes to the growing jackpot if it's not won, and then 50% supports the Lloydminster exhibition. We remind you, you can also buy tickets in person, but uh, the first draw is coming up in one week's time. Lloyd Mr. Canets have something that they call a win-win uh, for the community and for you. They're holding a Lloyd Loves Local 50-50 gift card giveaway. So for $20, uh, you can enter and 10 lucky winners are chosen on June the 1st here right away. So it works as a 50-50 with winners given their prizes in local business gift cards. So you're supporting local businesses. Plus, if you win, say, a $500 gift card, you're going to be pretty darn happy to head down to a local business with $500 uh, in your pocket. Uh, to get tickets, you can follow the Connects and send them a message on Facebook or you can call or text Wendy at 3 806-821-7979. A sellout would mean the 10 $500 local gift cards. There is an all-candidates forum happening for the Vermilion Lloydminster Wainwright riding tonight at the Lloydminster Exhibition. It's presented by the Lloydminster Chamber of Commerce. It runs from 6.30 to 8.30 in the Bexon Construction Prayer Room, and it's live-streamed as well on the Lloydminster Chamber of Commerce website and on their YouTube channel. And uh, it may be too late, but you can try if you have some last-minute questions to get those in at forum at lloydminsterchamber.com. This is exciting. The Lee Park Pro Rodeo is back June 9th, 10th, and 11th, Friday at 6, Saturday at 1 and 6, Sunday at 1. Once again this year, there's a pancake breakfast, rodeo dance, beer gardens, and more. Adults, $25. Three days, $60. That's all. And 12 and under are free. Call Lloyd Gray for more information, 780-871-1210. We're hoping to uh, head out to Lee Park ourselves and uh, talk to Lloyd and Rick again as they do a fantastic job with that. 
Don't forget this either. Until May 29th, our friends at Spiro's Restaurant are selling frozen pizzas for the B. Fisher Foundation. $5 from pizza sales at spiros.ca slash fundraising online order are donated to Big Brothers and Big Sisters and or, or sorry, uh, B. Fisher Foundation. And orders will come frozen and be available for pickup on Friday, June 9th between noon and 4.30. Yeah, that's a B. Fisher fundraiser. And uh, we are looking forward to talking with Danny Hozak in just a moment here at the new Lloydminster Nisa. We do want to remind you that Superior Water specializes in nothing but water. And with over 22 years in the business, they're proud and confident that their water and their service is superior. From iron filters, water softeners, reverse osmosis, distillers, chlorine removal, and H2S odor removal, give Superior Water a call. Or you can visit them on two locations, the two locations in Lloydminster. Call 780-875-6636, or you can find them on 57th Avenue, right beside Cheapskin Loft, and stay hydrated with pure, clean water. I drink superior water because I like the taste, and I believe it is superior water. 780-875-6636. We'll be right back after this break with Danny Hozak. It's more than just taxes at LNA CPA. Assurance, accounting, retirement planning, estate planning, business consulting, financial consulting, farm program support, and bookkeeping. But yes, there is always taxes. The team at LNA CPA is committed to helping you achieve your best results and will be there to assist you every step of the way. LNA CPA, with offices in Provost, Vermilion, and Lloydminster. How can you help support the oil and gas industry and jobs in Western Canada? The answer is closer than you think. Sell your scrap metals to PWM Steel. PWM sells scrap iron to Evraz, located in Regina. Evraz's number one customer is the energy sector, building pipes and plates for the oil and gas industry. PWM Steel is your locally owned metal recycler and steel service center in the area. Plus, they're a strong supporter of the community. PWM Steel, your top steel supplier for Alberta and Saskatchewan for 40 years. It's the biggest sale in the history of the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We've moved every car, truck, and SUV to the Lloyd Mall. That's every new and pre-owned vehicle under the tent and onto the parking lot at the Lloyd Mall. Test drive while your wife shops. Test drive while your husband shops. Test drive while you shop for your new Nissan. Save on your new ride today. The big tent event from the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. On now at the Lloyd Mall. The new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We won't sell you a car. We'll help you buy one. At Diamond 7 Meats, we work with local farm families to provide a high-quality product and a great selection for you. Try our mouth-watering Smokies, pulled pork, roast beef, and more. Made pure and natural with no additives or fillers. We offer custom processing, and our experienced team works for you to provide a selection of sausage, burgers, and jerkies made to your specifications. Take your grilling to the next level with a Yoder Smoker. Complete the grilling experience with a Canadian-made, award-winning line of House of Q barbecue sauces. We're locally owned and operated, and we look forward to seeing you today. Danny Hozak joins us. He is representing the Wild Rose Party in the Vermilion and Lloydminster Wainwright constituency seeking election on May 29th, which is uh, coming up here really, really quickly. And uh, Danny, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. It's coming up even faster for you, Danny, because you kind of got into the game a little late. I did. What, what, uh, hap- what happened with the Wild Rose? Uh, like, it's not like you didn't know when the election was coming. What happened? You know, we uh, we got uh, 
sabotaged by our old uh, board for you know reasons that I don't understand. You know what I mean? And uh, so we ended up having to literally start a new party to uh, to run with. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's sort of an interesting thing. I guess uh, the next time we write a book about Alberta separatism, like what actually happened, we'll find out over the course of time. But in any event, we had to start a new party, which we filed the papers for it on April 29th. So as you know, we were right at the deadline. We've got a new party. We in this area, we actually had a good young fellow that was thinking of running. And as the closer we got to the deadline, I guess he finally realized that before you can run to be the MLA, you should talk to your wife. And he talked to his <laughs> wife and said, you know, I just got vetoed. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I must admit, I was my last choice to be the candidate. But in any event, uh, we wanted to have a candidate in here. And uh, and one of the things as I'm, sh I'm sure we'll talk about is, uh, you know, a lot of people are really worried about the vote splitting. And I've had some, you know, really dear UCP friends calling me saying, well, Danny, you, you just can't like split the vote and uh, we understand that I, I think uh, the whole conservative spectrum there's no one in it who wants Rachel Notley to get another another term and uh, having said that we do want all conservatives to have some options and so I said to my friends well when Brian Jean put on his dancing shoes we had 21 and you had 55 so like if you if you won't contest us in our 21 we won't contest you in your 55 they said oh we couldn't do that and I said what like are we supposed to love Alberta more than you do like why couldn't you do that but in any event uh, having said that they wouldn't do that and so but we're generally speaking we're just running in ridings where you can divide the vote by two and not get the NDP our friend Garth who I supported got 79 percent obviously you can divide that you know you could divide it four or five times and not get the you know 7.8 that the NDP got so uh, but ha having said that like some of these people like uh, like th there's one thing that could could keep us away from the danger of somehow ending up with a Rachel Notley government or at least giving us some give a, give us sort of a, a safety valve if we did get a Rachel Notley government and that would be recall and uh, I mean our rec our recall is uh, 50 percent plus one of the people who voted in the last election so in Lloydminster in the last like in generally speaking there's you know 12,000 people vote in Lloydminster last time there was more because we just had one party but last there was 12,000 people vote so 50 percent plus one 6,000 people could fire the the MLA and so uh, we, we, we and our, our recall would start on May 30th like so if you woke up on the morning like we did in you know 2015 with Rachel Notley you could actually start collecting signatures that morning and you could you know force somebody to step down you know probably within it just step down and run in a by-election mind you but you could force a by-election in about five or six weeks well Jason Kenney in the last election actually campaigned on recall but uh, his recall you it doesn't start for 18 months you can't start recalling somebody for 18 months and then even then, the formula that they have, it would take 16,000 signatures rather than 6,000. So, I mean, you might be able to get 6,000 signatures in Lloydminster, but you couldn't get 16,000 signatures if your life depended on it. So, I call their recall the sort of the mechanical equivalent of a shiny new car with no brakes. I mean, sure, it's how, yeah, you can say we've got brakes, but they don't work, you know what I mean? And so their recall doesn't work. And so, if we actually stumble into something where, uh, you know, Rachel for reasons or not Rachel yeah Rachel Notley wins you know unexpectedly in some different ridings and ends up with God forbid a majority government like we actually have no effective recall at least not for 18 months and even then it wouldn't work so I mean I look at this and I think uh, you know uh, we've been we've been we 
we have been, I don't know if betrayed is the right word, but I mean, uh, Jason Kenney campaigned on bringing recall, and now we are here, we're looking at the, you know, the, the, the last polls, I, when Daniel first got elected, she was ahead 44 to 43, so it, was, it wasn't obvious that they were going to win. And I mean, anybody that was thinking about, well, let's look at the worst case scenario, let's look at we lose, like, let's be sure we have recall, that we can do something about this if we do. And so, to me, they've been negligent in not bringing in recall that works, because yeah, we are in a horrible bind if we happen to get Rachel Notley. Is that the biggest difference? Is that is, like what out what what has separated you from the UC party? At one point, Danny, you were a UC party yes, uh, yeah. supporter. Yeah. What else has happened along the way that Danny Hozak says? Well, I'm, I'm like part of me wants to ask. Let me just ask this first. Sure. Why can't conservatives get along? Well, uh, I, I was like, at, why is there always like we see it in Saskatchewan now? Yeah. There's a new party that's challenging the Saskatchewan yeah. party. It's a conservative party again. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Jerry Ritz. Well, you know, the, one of the ministers, I had coffee with one of the ministers from the local church. He said, well, why can't you just get along? I said, well, I'll answer that in a minute. But first you tell me, why don't we just have one church? And he said, well, because we all have different visions on how this should, this should work. And it's the same thing here. Like, and I said, I look at, the, and I mean, I sort of jokingly say, it's easy for the left because they say, like, stick with us. Don't worry about the lying and the cheating and the corruption and the, and you name it. Like, when we get our hands on the credit card, you'll get your share. But conservatives, we all have, we all consider ourselves more principled, but we all have a different principle that we're prepared to quit over, you know what I mean? And so we end up with different parties. But there, there's no harm in actually having different parties if you actually have recall because if something goes wrong like you say well I guess we didn't need that guy we'll fire them when you, when you go back to the you know a lot of people say you know we got Rachel not because of a vote split actually that, that's actually sort of you know uh I, I, I would call it revisionist history. We, we got Rachel Notley because of political betrayal. Jim, Jim Prentice betrayed his PC supporters by merging with Danielle, and Danielle betrayed us by merging with, with, with him. And if you remember, Jim Prentice announced, uh, like at 8 o'clock that morning, they were having a caucus meeting and they were going to be announcing the merger and uh, at 10 o'clock. And I mean, they, they, they didn't announce it till 4 or 5 in the afternoon because a lot of people inside the caucus, you know what I mean, said, look, we don't want to merge with them. We just had an election. We just won. We don't need their votes. The, the only reason they merged was so they didn't have to be accountable to us peasants. Like, I mean, because once they merged, well, then they say, well, you've only got one choice. And so, so, so anyway, like I say, Danielle betrayed the Wild Rosers. Jim Prentice betrayed the, the PCs. And each of their people voted, like, without talking to each other for the NDP to teach their respective leader a lesson. Well, when we woke up in the morning, we found out that so many people had voted to teach their respective leaders a lesson that we had Rachel Notley. But it was, and so, do you see what I mean? This wasn't, it wasn't a vote split. If they would have just stayed in their two parties and, and campaigned the way we're campaigning against the Conservatives, like right now I'm campaigning against Garth. And I mean, he, he got 79% support. Well, I'm hoping to get, I'm hoping to get whatever it is, you know, 41 or something, and I hope he gets 38. And the, the NDP are still going to get 12%. Like, it won't be a vote split because the, the, his people aren't mad at him and, and my people aren't mad at me. They're like, my people are going to vote for, I shouldn't call them my people, but the Wild Rose people are going to vote for the Wild Rose Party. And the people that really b believe strongly in 
Garth and what they're doing are going to vote for him. There, there's no danger of vote split here. The, the vote split was caused by political betrayal. But that, that isn't the biggest reason why I'm in the, in the Wild Rose Party. But da, da, Danielle, Smith is, Danielle Smith believes in carbon net zero. And carbon net zero, it doesn't matter how you cut it, it's uh, Jordan Peterson called carbon net zero a ridiculous solution to an imaginary problem. And that pretty much sums it up in one line if anything does. It's a ridiculous solution to an imaginary problem. Having said that, if, if like Justin Trudeau is intent on forcing that ridiculous solution on us and if, if he and I mean if they have their way they will reduce they will reduce the energy production in Alberta they will reduce they want to reduce uh, fertilizer by 30 percent that will it'll do two things it'll do, it'll do lots of things but if they if if the federal government have their way they will reduce our energy industry which reduces our province provincial income every and like the standard of living, and it's in my speech, but the standard of living of a society is inverse to the cost of food plus energy. And so when you, read, when you make the energy more expensive, it makes food more expensive, and, and it reduces your standard of living. So what Justin Trudeau is talking about doing is reducing our standard of living by, by, by making energy more expensive and food more expensive. And see, we're... we're we're so self-righteous here. We say, "Oh yes, like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do that to, to save the planet." You think, "Okay, I don't know if you follow Peter Zeehan, but he wrote the book *Accidental Superpower*, and uh, he, he's, he's out of the states. He wrote it in, uh, you know, about eight years ago. But he said Al Alberta was actually an accidental superpower because, like, the right people in the right place you know, at the right time with God-given natural resources and the right attitude towards developing them. But to me. Like he said, like a third of the world, no, a quarter of the world's fertilizer and a quarter of the world's wheat is is produced in Russia and the Ukraine. And he said, if if you were so, if you reduce fertilizer production by usage by 30 percent, I mean, it might get reduced by 30 percent just because of the war. But Justin them want to reduce it by 30 percent. But if you do, all of a sudden there's not enough food to feed everybody. So here we are, you know, self righteously signaling that we believe in carbon net zero. And you say, well, okay. Our people are just going to be cold and hungry, but somebody may well starve to death over doing this. And you think, I don't want anybody to starve to death. I want to keep raising the food. And so, like, let's keep raising the food. Let's keep raising the energy. So, like, we're, we're outspoken on, you know, carbon net zero. Like, carbon net zero is a hoax. And people who want to live a comfortable life the way I have, they need to, they need to wake up to that sooner rather than later. Because, like, Rachel wants to bring in carbon net zero by 2035, and Danielle wants to do it just sometime later. So, I mean, one of the reasons I like her is she doesn't actually want me to be cold and hungry. She just wants my kids and my grandchildren to be cold and hungry, which I don't want that anyway. You know what I mean? And so, like, so, and see, once you've agreed to carbon net zero, when the feds come along and say, oh, well, I know you wanted it by 2050, but we've got a plan that can get it by 2036, when you say, well, no, I didn't really want it. I was just saying 2050 because I didn't think it would ever happen to me. So we're absolutely, we think we should make an issue of this. And I don't know if you saw Rex Murphy's uh, most recent column, but he was saying like the, the Alberta election should have been a referendum on fighting back on, on this whole climate hoax. And we're trying to make it that here. I mean, we, we, we want to stand up for our energy producers and, uh, and our agricultural producers. Wasn't that the 2019 election? I feel like that, that was the 2019 election too. Was standing up to was run on standing up to Justin Trudeau. It was, it was, and see, but that's another. That's another. Like Jason Kenney campaigned on doing something about equalization, got seventy percent support. 
And then six months later, he hadn't done anything about it. And he, there was a Manning conference uh, function in Red Deer. And by his own admission, he said, oh, I stayed up all night coming up with a plan. You think, well, look, you've been working for us for 19 years. You get elected on a, to doing something about it. And you, you're elected for six months and you haven't done anything about it. And you stay up all night. This is like a kid studying, you know, staying up at night, like uh, cramming for an exam. So, but anyway, by his own admission, he stayed up all night. He came up with the idea of the Fair Deal panel. They, there was... 800 in-person submissions, 10,000 written submissions. God knows how, many, how much time and effort that Albertans put into that. And basically what they were saying, yes, we elected you to do something about this. We gave you 70% support. Now you're coming back to us, you know, having public meetings. We're saying, yes, we still want you to do something about it. We made all these submissions. The, the Fair Deal panel wrote the report, said, yes, the people want us to do something about it. He said, great, we're going to have a referendum on it. We had a referendum on it. 70% of the people said, yeah, we want you to do something about it. He said, great, the people, 70% of us want us to do something about it. I've written a letter to uh, Justin Trudeau, and we're going to start working on recall. You think, okay, like, so anyway, here we are. Danielle Smith, she's campaigning. You know what, her, the Sovereignty Act, you know what that is? That's standing up to Ottawa. That's saying we want a better deal. Well, I mean, I said in my speech, as you know, I say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, I mean, they're campaigning on the same promises they made in 2019. And... You're right, that is what the campaign audit 2019 was doing something about equalization and standing up to Ottawa. They didn't do it, and now they're saying, oh, give us one more chance, we'll do it. Like, like I said, if you hired someone and you said, well, this is, like, this is what we want you to do over the four, next four years, I said, for one thing, no one in, in private life would hire someone and say, if you show up on Monday, we'll give you a company credit card and signing authority at the bank, and your first job review will be four years from now. I mean, most people, like your job, you show up on Monday, if they don't like you, they'll fire you on Tuesday, not four years later, like tomorrow, you know what I mean? So somehow we've got in, in politics, we've got to where we're accustomed to, you know, you give them four years and we'll, you know, maybe we'll see. But surely we're not so naive as to, to vote for them on the same promise that they didn't keep last time. What, what's wrong with the Sovereignty Act? Why won't it work? Well, again, for, for, like, the, the, the reason it won't work is they're going to go to the Supreme Court and who's, there, there's three people on the Supreme Court from uh, Ontario, three from Quebec, two from the Maritimes, and a Liberal from Western Canada. And they're going to go to the Supreme Court and say, oh, we don't feel like you're treating us fairly. We'd like you to treat us more fairly. Well, I mean, you think, does it, like, we all know the Supreme Court is not going to rule in our favor. And I mean, like, you could, I mean, if, if you, if, like, you see what I mean? They're just not going to rule in our favor. I mean, if they wanted to rule in our favor, all those elites in Eastern Canada, I mean, they could have shared with us the $600 billion that we've sent them over the last 30 years. They, they the only time they care about us is when they need money. I mean, it, like, to me, like, I don't know. I think you could go door knocking for a month in Alberta and ask people, do you think the Supreme Court's going to rule in our favor? I don't think you'd find anybody. So, oh, yeah, I can see the Supreme Court giving us a fair deal. Like, I mean, it just isn't going to happen. So anyway, especially like especially when like when you like if you actually if you if you sent a delegation to Ottawa with, with that argument and at the same time you said like, you started campaigning to have an independent province and said like if they say no on if they say no on the first of july that we'll be voting on independence on the the 30th of july i mean the, that that might get their attention to where they sort of thought about it and gave us fair uh, consideration but i doubt that i don't think you know i i don't think uh uh i i just don't see them agreeing with us i mean they've never agreed with us before why would they all of a sudden do it now 
There's a benefit to having, um, uh, you know, if Daniel gets elected, there's a benefit to having a UCP candidate in this area. I mean, we all see what happens when we don't agree with Ottawa. We can go to Rosemary. We can go to Shannon. We can say, I don't like this. And she's in opposition. We can make our voices heard, but it, go, it, it just it stops there. It's not like it, I don't feel like it goes anywhere after that. So what's the, like, Danny, if you were got elected in this riding and Danielle is, he's, let's say you're the only Wild Rose um, candidate that yep. gets elected. How do you make a difference that way? you like, how do you like, how do you make our voices heard? And I asked this question to Daryl Dunn, who's running for the Alberta yep. party too. You know, uh, I might agree with everything you say, but when I vote for you, and you're the only one who gets elected, my, my bitching and my complaining stops with you because they're not, like, you, you're not going to matter because you're one seat. Well, In what, 87? Is it 80, 80, 87, 87? 87. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, you're, you're, I would say you're half right. You know what I mean? That's, and, that's my dad would say that a lot. Too. Okay, good. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a senior <laughs> thing. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, see, you look at see, like you look at where they're campaigning. Like they they're, they're not they're not going to any NDP seats and uh, promising them anything. And quite frankly, they didn't come here and promise us anything because they're not they're taking our vote for granted. You know where they're campaigning? They're campaigning in the they're campaigning in seats where the vote is split. You know what I mean? And and, and they're worried about losing. You know what I mean? In uh, and uh, so, uh, see. So the thing, the thing is, like, see, and this, this, all this comes back to. It, it doesn't actually matter whether you elect Garth or whether you elect me. Like, if you can't fire them if they don't do their job, well, you're stuck for four years anyway. And you know, who knows if he's going to talk to Daniel or not? Quite frankly, like, I had, I still have my UCP membership, even though they denied me as a candidate. I still had my membership, and I voted for Danielle because I think, like, I think she campaigned on Wild Rose policies, and we want to be there to help her keep her on Wild Rose policies. Like, I mean, Travis Taves, who ran, who's a reasonable friend of mine, like, they just mocked her. For for talking about the Sovereignty Act and standing up for Alberta. They didn't even want to do it. They're just such good friends with Eastern Canada. Like my friend said, they're so good friends with the federal government, they're no use to us. But going back to your question, see, if you, if, if you elect me, then, then all of a sudden it sends a message to them saying, holy smokes, maybe, maybe we can't take Lloyd Minster for granted. Maybe we should be out there doing something for them. Like, I mean, I knew Danielle when she didn't believe in uh, giving money to, uh, to fund hockey arenas, like so that you know, billionaire, uh, billionaire owners could uh, have a place for their millionaire friends to play hockey. But now all of a sudden she believes in it because Lloyd uh, Calgary's in contention. But I mean, you vote, you send me there you can be sure the premier will be coming to town every six months for the next few years to talk to you about uh, what can we do to get alberta to get lloyd minster back in the thing and yeah and the other thing even if i don't get elected it comes back to recall and like garth went there i mean garth and I, garth agrees with us on you know carbon net zero i was at the meeting when jason kenny was there and he said oh i don't believe in all this carbon bs and uh, i want to be able to talk about that and and jason oh yeah like in your caucus like you can say whatever you want you're right to bring your opinions forward whatever you like you know I me mean? well anyway he got there and he was going to talk about well you know we really don't want you to talk about it today and if you do talk about it today like you're not going to be on any 
committees, and I mean it wouldn't. It's not going to look good for you or for your, uh, for your, uh, you know, constituency if you're not in any committee. So maybe you could just just talk about what we want to talk about. And let's you know, let's not worry about that. But see, if we actually had recall, Garth could say, well, you know, like. Uh, I promised these people, my people, that I was going to talk about this. And like, if I don't talk about it, it's not like I'm not going to be on any committees. I'm not going to be in caucus because they will fire me. And so, like, if you actually have recall, then 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 the the MLA has to decide. Okay, am I going to be accountable to my constituents or I'm going to be accountable to my leader? You see what I mean? And they're supposed to be accountable to their constituents, but the way the system works, they're not. And so. Like, we need to get that message out there. I mean, whether you send me or whether you don't, we need to get back to where we have politicians that are held to account. Like, we need to have, you know, like, uh, if you want to call it, like, progress reports every 30 days, not every four years. And, I mean, when you get a progress every four years and they say, well, we didn't keep the promise last time, but we're going to keep it this time for sure. Like, trust me on this one. You think, spare me. You know, so, anyway, uh, like, I, I think... Uh, like uh, times are changing, you know what I mean? And uh, you know, I had a pretty good argument with a lady. She said, "Well, you people are always so far out there. Like you'll never get elected." And I said, "Like, like if you have to lie to get elected, why would you want to get elected? Certainly, I wouldn't want to at my age. I mean, maybe there's some young person that's looking for a job. You know, doesn't mind spending a life lying about what he what he believes. I don't know. I'm too old to lie about what I believe. This is what I believe, and I'm, you know, I'm like a dog with a bone on it, if I must say so myself. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah." So Danielle has, you mentioned, she's going to give $300 million to Calgary for uh, what they call upgrades around the arena, yeah. not necessarily yeah. for the arena. Yeah. We need a new arena here. Do you believe that there should be some tax dollars coming from Alberta for that arena? We've, we've already got money from Saskatchewan. We've already got uh, money from the uh, feds. And uh, if we don't get it, the taxpayer is going to pay for it. That's the, the only source of uh, income, well, because we know public facilities well, lose money, well, is, well, is taxpayers. The, the taxpayers are going to pay, pay for it anyway. You're going to pay for it right here with your taxes going up here. Well, see, that that's one of the... I'm glad you asked that question, because that that gets to... That gets to one of the things that defines, and I, I had a, a, a busy morning, I, but anyway, P Paul got elected in uh, 2004 in Cardston Tabor Warner. And one of the, things, the first things he did is he went to Treasury and he said, well, I'd like to know how many taxes are, are collected, like, in, in my riding. How, mu how much of it's federal tax, how much of it's provincial tax, how much is donated to, uh, donated to, uh, to charity. Oh, they just printed it all off for him. It's about a 10-page thing. I should look. It might even be in my car, and I'll show you when we're done if I've got it. But anyway, they printed it off all off for him. And so I took the 2005 one for... Uh, for our constituency, and in 2005, uh, our constituency paid uh, $150 million in federal income tax. We paid around $69 million in provincial tax, and we donated $9 million to charity. You know what I mean? And uh, so anyway, he said, "Okay, so how much did we get back from uh, how much did we get back from Edmonton?" Well. We, we don't really know. I mean, I, I, maybe Richard Starkey would know or maybe Garth would know if you asked him. Like, how much do you actually send back to our constituency? So I don't know this, but I do know federally the numbers are we send $50 billion to Ottawa. 
we get $10 billion back in transfers, and they supposedly provide us with $20 billion worth of services, you know, which is about $10 billion in, you know, employment wages and $10 billion in, you know, buying planes for the military or whatever they do. So, so anyway, out of the $50 billion we send them, we get about $30 billion spent on us. So my guess is that this $200 million that we send from our constituency to Edmonton, my guess is we get about 120 million of it back, you know what I mean? And they just keep 40% of the money for uh, overpasses around Edmonton. Like, have you ever tried to count the overpasses going around Edmonton? We've been working on an overpass at Lloydminster for most of my lifetime, or at Kitscotty Corner, you know what I mean? But, oh, there's never any money for that, but they can have 250 overpasses going around thing. So anyway, it, we, so we, we, that, that was 2005 when provincial taxes were $6 billion. So now I think provincial taxes are about uh, $12 billion. So my guess is our constituents sent about $400 million to Edmonton last year. And, uh, and so anyway, the next year, Paul went in and said, oh, I'd like to get a copy of, uh, you know, the, 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 this tax report. And they said, oh, we don't give that out anymore. He said, well, why not? Like, it should be public information. Well, no, we don't give that out anymore. Well, you can, you can take this to the bank. If they were sending us more money than we were sending them, they would send us a note every day saying, you know, like, we're up here in Edmonton and we're sending you more than, uh, than, than you send us. We want you to try a little harder to send us some more tax. So clearly we're sending them more than, uh, than we're getting back. And so our, our position is we, we'll find out how much money is generated in, in this constituency. And our position on our, our, our position on infrastructure, and this is this is public infrastructure, not necessarily arenas. You know what I mean? But uh, our position is that we should have a a provincial strategy where you, you you put together a committee of some politicians, some community peoples, maybe the mayors, and say, okay, we want to have a list of uh, of. Uh, like, what do you need for infrastructure in your town? Do you need a water treatment plant? Do you need a road? Do you need an overpass? Do you need a new hospital? What do you need? Do you know what I mean? And then, of course, and so then, then you would, we would do that, and you would come up with a list of, let's just say, $250 billion of infrastructure we need in Alberta over the next 10 or 15 years. So then you, then you start prioritizing. And you say, okay, like, who has the oldest hospital? Who, need, like, who needs... Who needs a, an overpass? And like I said, I said this last night, and I said it in 2012 too. I said like, if there's a corner in Alberta that's had more people killed at it than the Kitscotty corner, well then they should get the first overpass. Like I, I don't think we should be arguing amongst each other just for political reasons, saying oh I need to get an overpass so we can get elected. We should say look, we need to get an overpass here so people don't keep getting killed. And like I say, if this is the worst corner, we should get the first one. If the worst corner is in Vulcan, they should get the first one. You see what I mean? And so then, so once we know how much money is generated in the, in the constituency, that, then what we would say is, okay, we've got, the, 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 this, is, this, this is where they get into the, the uh, tax points. You know, the municipality should get so much of the money and the provincial should get so much and the feds should get so much. And out of that, well, then there should be so much for, for recreation. You know what I mean? For, for, for all the things that, you know, not just swimming pools, uh, you know, uh, you know, Everybody, I don't know if, what it costs to build a pickleball court, but I mean, a lot of my friends play pickleball anymore, a swimming pool, all that stuff. So, so what we would do is then we would say, okay, this is how much we have for the communities in the constituency for 
let's call it the recreation component of it, not not public services, not like we would have one one overall list of infrastructure that the government is committed to providing, and then we would prioritize that and, and say so. If, if we were if 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 ours, if something we, if we're spending ten billion dollars a year on infrastructure, and our name is at about the fourteen billion mark, well, we'll know in the second year we'll get some money for that. If you're down at the bottom, so. But coming back to the infrastructure, I, we got this question from a fellow. Uh, well, two days ago, I had somebody come out to interview me about the uh, the uh, Vermilion Library. He said, "Would you be committed to putting money into the uh, Vermilion Library?" I said, "No." I, I would be I would be committed to allocating so much money per community for for whatever it is. And then it would be up to the community to say, okay, look, like is the arena most important thing for our community or is it the, uh, or is it the, uh, or do we need a new swimming pool or maybe we need a, maybe you need like, I don't know what else you would need, you know, need maybe a new gymnasium or whatever, maybe a new football stadium, I don't know. But see, I don't think, I don't think the politicians should say, yeah, oh yeah, you can count on me. Like, if you need arena, we're going to find money for arena. Like, for all I know, the next person I might talk to said, well, like, my kids, uh, my kids don't skate, but they play soccer. I want you to build an indoor soccer thing. I said, well, let the community sort that out. And so, uh, I mean, we get into this divisiveness in politics, and I actually think it would bring our communities together if we just all sat down and said, okay, let's do a let's do a 20-year plan. Like, we need a new arena. We need, uh, let's just say, we need a, a an indoor thing for playing soccer I mean I guess they can play some indoor soccer at the multiplex but whatever so you see my point I I, I think I don't think that has served us well where where politicians just went around and say oh yeah you can count on me like we'll I'll def I mean if, if there's money to be given I'm going to ask for it but I mean on the other hand I think we could come up with a different uh, different process of doing it it would be better for everyone so much per year so much per year yes yeah exactly to yeah. each municipality depending yeah. on how much your taxes yeah exactly yeah how much taxes yeah you're, exactly you're given. yeah uh, I want to ask you about some more local sure, what, yeah. you're, what you're hearing. But first, uh, let's tell you about Bev and her team at Jetstream Personnel Consulting. It's incredibly tough right now just to find a time to be able to find the right employees for your business. And that's exactly what Jetstream Personnel Consulting does. They find the right candidate for your business so you don't waste your time with the clutter. And they work locally to find specifically what you're looking for right here. They'll even design your ad. And there's no headhunting. And Jetstream knows your industry, whether it's the oil sector, whether it's automotive, education, healthcare, agriculture, or administration, they know it. Jetstream Personnel Consulting, 780-808-5736 or jetstreampersonnelconsulting.com. Again, 780-808-5736. So, Danny, I know you're busy when you're and you're talking to people. I, I see you at events. I know yeah. that that's, that's what Danny Hozak does. What are, yeah. what are they telling you it's important to them in this area? What, what are you hearing uh, from, your, from the constituents? Well, I guess like ordinary people are worried about like the cost of everything. Like I mean, the, like the the numbers, their numbers are crazy. I don't know how like I don't know how some young families survive. You look at like our like I mean, what is it? A thousand, fifteen hundred dollars for your kid to play hockey? Maybe twenty five hundred if you're on a traveling team. So they're they're worried about. I guess we talk about pocketbook issues. The the cost of fuel plus the cost of food is got so expensive that some of them are are struggling to uh, cover some of these uh, some of the things that we've sort of come to take for granted. And so, uh, uh, I guess that would be. I, I think that's the the fairest concern. And I mean, I I have to say I'm a, I'm sort of disappointed in how few people are 
concerned about the fact that that Justin Trudeau wants to shut down our energy industry. Like we're sort of, to me, we're sort of going along in denial and saying like, like folks, do you understand? Like when he shuts down our industry industry, like, I mean, it, it won't only affect the people who work in the oil field, it'll affect the salesmen at Nissan too, because I mean, there'll be less people who have money to, uh, to buy anything. So I think it really is the pocket bush issues. You look at, you know, people are saying, well, it used to cost me $200 for a, you know, to go and get my you know, groceries. Now it's costing me 300, 350, 400. Like where, where does it all end? And I mean, uh, there's a, there's a real divide, as I'm sure you know, uh, and I, I saw it on Twitter the other day. They said there was two pandemics. The people who worked for the government got paid to stay home, and the people who worked in the private sector just got sent home. Some of them, uh, some of them with uh, you know with, with no job and no, uh, and, and and some of them, quite frankly, they weren't vaccinated. I don't know if they're really having trouble getting on unemployment insurance or not. But I mean, that's another, that's another unfolding horror story. I think it's fair to say when you look at. Uh, the fact that, uh, like, the, that the, I mean, last night this came up, the medical mandates. And, uh, and uh, you know, I said, well, and the, some people said, well, you know, they've always mandated, uh, I, mean, I think Gar said, well, taking the vaccines in the, it's in the Health Act, you have to be vaccinated. I said, well, that's fair enough. I got the polio vaccine, the smallpox vaccine, all that good stuff. But the, let, let's be clear, the, the, this this most late, latest injection that some people have been forced to take is not a vaccine. It's an experimental drug. And I mean, they started doing the experiments on mice and the mice all died. So then they quit doing that because there are, I guess, so many people care about mice, I guess. But anyway, then they started testing it on, on people and the tests are ongoing, as you know. And uh, like we have a dear friend, her her 25-year-old son with a wife and a young baby. He had to get vaccinated to uh, keep his job. And uh, now he's got myocarditis and he can't work. Well, what have we done here? Like, I mean, some of this stuff, like, I mean, like a lot of the, I mean, I, I, I don't travel in as big a circle as you might think I do. And my friend said, if you get a ri reputation for rising early, you can sleep till noon. And sometimes I do sleep till noon anymore. But nevertheless, like the people that I talk to, a lot of them are, are offended by the fact that the government like forced us into the vaccines. You know what I mean? If they'd have just made it available and tried to make the information available, well then, and let people make their own decision. And I said, I would say two thirds of my friends are vaccinated, a third of them aren't. And we're all adults, we can all, they can, we can all do what we like. But I actually think the fact that the government is still pushing to vaccinate our grandchildren with, or give at least give a shot to our, you know, like anybody under 18, like, the recovery rate from the COVID is 99.999% for people under 18. So to, to give to give them the vaccine when uh, when uh, there, there's there's no clear evidence that it works and there's getting to be growing evidence that it doesn't work at all. And early on in this, I phoned Garth and I said, Garth, I just can't believe that you're not allowing uh, uh, you know doctors to recommend hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. You mean? And he said, well, it's not us, it's the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And he said, you wouldn't want the government telling the doctors what to do, would you? And I said, well, not really. Uh, you know, but I said, if I were the government, I would tell the doctors what I was going to do. I wouldn't tell them what they were going to do. I would tell them what I was going to do. And I would call them and I would tell them, like, we want, you to, we want you to bring your whole College of Physicians and Surgeons. We want you to meet with the caucus on Monday morning. And we want you to bring your best doctor and your best lawyer. But at noon, if you haven't given us absolutely irrefutable evidence that there's some 
imminent danger from taking hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Like, we're going to charge you with criminal negligence causing death right there in the room, and some of you will spend the rest of your life in jail. And he said, well, you couldn't do that. And I said, good if you wanted to. I mean, you know, Tamara Leach went to uh, jail for 63 days for what? Like, st I mean, standing up for people who didn't want to be vaccinated. So you could do it if you wanted to. But my guess is you'd never have to do it because uh, if you had the guts to tell them you were going to do it, they would have found out about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And goodness knows how many lives that would have saved. When it comes to health care, how, how, how does the Wild Rose Party differ from what the UCP is doing right now and what they plan to do in the future with, with wait times? Well, because I know that that's a big concern. You, you've had people tell you yeah, yeah, that their, is. their weight is, is incredible you, you when know, they go to an emergency. The, one, one, of the, one of the things that really bugs me, and this is a particularly Lloyd Minster issue, but I'm going to deal with that first, is how many people, like, uh, are, I mean, obviously our system is the Prairie North, and I've got some dear friends on, on the Prairie North board, and, uh, and I think they've served us reasonably well, but there's something in that thing where if you go to the hospital and then you get transferred to Edmonton, Edmonton can't get your files from Prairie North, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I mean... It seems to me that's one of those things you could solve in 24 hours if you had to, you know what I mean? And to me, like, somebody on our side of the border needs to tell Prairie North, like, I mean, we're joint funding this hospital. And the first time we have a customer or a client or whatever you call a patient that's in, in Edmonton that can't get their file from Prairie North, like, we will give you notice that we're breaking the agreement and we're going to build a hospital on the Lloydminster side and we'll have our records and our hospital on the Lloydminster side and we won't deal with you again. Like, the, like I, mean, I, I mean, I've heard this going back like 15 years that people can't get their records from Saskatchewan. Well, I don't necessarily blame them. There's probably some rule that says they're not supposed to send them out of the province or something. But I mean, surely the guy who's representing our side of the border could say, look, we're not putting up with this. We want to get this figured out and I want to have a meeting. We'll just stay here in the room till we figure out how to do it. So going back to healthcare, like Danielle, uh, Danielle has some pretty innovative ideas on, on healthcare and, uh, and uh, she spoke when she was running for the leadership of the first Wild Rose against the, uh, uh, remember there was a chiropractor, I think, and she, she, she'd done a study from, the, 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 she, brought, she talked a lot about a study that had been done in Canada by some health, health monitoring outfit, and they, they monitored 20 different outcomes. And Alberta was only number one, they were number one, the only thing they were number one in was cost. And they were in the top five in women's breast cancer treatment, which is a great thing. But in 15 out of the 20 things they monitored, we were in the bottom 25% of outcomes with the highest cost. And you think, well, how is that possible? Well, one of the ways is possible at the time, and these are like these are back when I was running in 2015. But there was uh, Alberta has one healthcare bureaucrat for every 1,200 people, and Germany has one healthcare bureaucrat for every 12,000 people. Ten, so we have 10 times more healthcare bureaucrats. As you know, Danielle, you know, fired the, the bulk of the, uh, the, the, the main health board, I think, in the first week she was premier. But th there's a whole lot of things that need to be done there. But we're, like, our, our, our general policy on that is that we want to get back to the old regional health boards and we want to, we want to, we don't want to just have 
like block funding. Like, I mean, we'll pay you, if you do a knee surgery, we'll give you this much money. If you do a colonoscopy, you get this much money. And I mean, and then, then you, then you start, like you don't get any money unless you provide a service. When you send, when you send the block money out, the less service they provide, the more money they have for whatever they happen to want to do with it. But we'd like to, just like in the schools, I mean, the, the, we want the, the, the funding to follow the student and we want the same thing in the healthcare system, generally speaking. We want the funding to follow the patient. So if the patient isn't getting any service, the hospital isn't getting any money, and the more service the patient gets, the more uh, money the hospital gets. And there, there's lots of things they could do to increase the efficiency on that if we set our mind to it. It's, it's sort of a focus, and I mean, like, a lot of people like to, uh, you know, take a run at the bureaucrats. And I said, I, I've met a lot of bureaucrats, and most of them are professional people, and their job is to help the elected person implement their vision. And so my, my problem in lots of cases is not with the bureaucrats. It's, it's the lack of vision from the people they're working for. So I think there's a lot of things here where we could sort of bring people together and say, okay, this is our new vision. We, we, want, to be the most, we want to be the most competitive healthcare provider in, uh, in the free world. We might as well be. We've, we should be the richest jurisdiction in the free world with all our resources. And we say we want to provide the best healthcare in the free world. We want the government to always pay, but we're, we don't care how the service gets provided. And Garth talked about this last night. In Denmark, they have a, you know, there's a private system and there's a public system. And the public system has to compete to get patients just like the, the private system does. You know what I mean? And, and that's good. Competition, com competition is what made Alberta what it is, is, is competing for service with customers. And we shouldn't look at hospitals any different than that. And, and I mean, we do look at it differently than that. And we've got, like, what is it? six months, nine months, 12 months waiting list. Can you imagine like if Neeson had a six month waiting list to buy a car? No, they'd be buying their car somewhere else. Like if you want service here, you come here and you get good service, but we don't from the government. And why should, we shouldn't take that for granted. We should say, look, we're going to figure out a way where we get just as good a service like from the local hospital as we get from the local Neeson dealer because they're both competing for our service. It sounds like you're not opposed to private, private, at least I'm not, half opposed, of private. I'm not opposed to private delivery. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to inflation, and you, you mentioned that this is a big concern that you're hearing from constituents, um, is, is the key just to get rid of that, uh, the, the carbon tax and the second carbon tax that's coming in July? Is that going to do enough to lower uh, inflation in this area? What else can be done? I, I, I take it that that's, you know, I take it that for, even from your, your opening speech last night in Vermilion, yeah. that that's a key is, is energy security. Well, the lower inf in inflation. Well, see, it, it, it certainly, like, a lot of our inflation is coming from how much money Justin Trudeau is spending. And he just, they just keep pouring the money out. And that's sort of creating, what do they say, like it's a surplus, like a, there's a shortage of uh, products and a surplus of money. So it runs the price up. But it certainly would, it, it certainly would increase our standard of living if we just if we just if we just produce our energy, if we let our farmers produce, we've got some of the best producers in the world. And if you let them produce, if you let them produce well, they generate lots of money. You know what I mean? And they spend it. Like I mean, most businesses and people always want to pick on companies. The best companies only keep seven percent, and the you know some of the you know some companies only keep two or three percent of what they take in. The the rest all gets paid back to shareholders and to their employees. And so, like 
uh, certainly we're committed to like at, like g giving our our energy industry the right to compete like right now like to me carbon net zero is asking them to produce with one hand tied behind their back like free them up and they the government can say what they like about oh there's people moving here we're sort of the the least poor option but i mean like uh, i'd be surprised if there's a lot of big companies in the world looking at move to some moving to some place where they're going to try and implement carbon net zero like i mean you, you think about again this is like when you said well you, how do you know the supreme court's going to do that you say well if you just think about it, they're not going to agree with us. And if you just look at, like, let's just say you were working for some huge multinational in, in somewhere in an office in Germany and say, well, where could we go? Well, do you think you'd say Alberta? Like, well, they're, gonna, they're trying to be carbon net zero. Like, I mean, you know that's going to raise your cost of doing business. You know what I mean? And so you just decide not to go there. So once I think we, I think we need as a province to commit, say, look, we're opposed to carbon net zero. Like, I mean, Obviously, obviously climate change is real or we'd still be living in the last ice age. So it, the climate does change, but it, 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 it isn't changing because of CO2. In fact, Dr. Patrick Moore, who, as you know, uh, is, is one of the world's, I think it's fair to say, he's one of the world's leading environmentalists. And uh, he's now chairman of the CO2 coalition. But he said, if, if you look at, so often, so often the narrative is, inverse to the way people portray it to us. And he said, if you, if you, look, at, if you look at the graphs on CO2, they, it came down like from millions of years ago, it came down from 2,400 to 500 to 800. I think it got as low as 240. And that's because all these trees and everything, we, these trees were sucking up the carbon out of the air and they were just sequestering it. And it was getting lower and lower and lower. And there was actually nothing putting carbon back in the air. And so he said, we, we, were, on a, we were on a trajectory to go down to 180 parts per million. And at 180 parts per million, life on Earth ends. But ironically, and not, not connected, but I mean, the, in, in, in Europe, they, they developed coal and they started burning coal. And we started putting CO2 back in the air. And, and like he said, it literally, in his mind, it kept us from going, it kept life on Earth from ending when we started adding CO2. And now we're at, what are we back at, 340, 350? But we, we, all, this, all, this, uh, all this vegetation that ended up creating the oil sands, it was all grown at, you know, 2,400 to 5,000 parts per million. You know what I mean? And so, like, the, the, to think that, you know, at 380 is good and, and 401 is bad, like, it's it's an absolute hoax. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, anybody who knows anything about greenhouses know they basically pump CO2 into it because the because uh, the uh, plants uh, you know the the plants are more productive. And one of the things going back to you know feeding a hungry world, you can look at maps of the world and it's greening as the CO2 goes up. We're able to farm in more and more areas of the world, and our crops are more productive because they have more CO2. So actually, CO2 is actually helping us feed a hungry world. Uh, and just while I'm on that CO2, the, one of the things that that really bothers me, as you know, we add CO2 to the uh, to the uh, to the greenhouses so they grow better. We, we've got, we have one grandson who almost has a permanent rash on his face from uh, wearing a mask. And I mean, he, he, was, he was four when this all started, maybe three. And uh, to me, so they're wearing a mask, they're not getting enough oxygen. I mean, they've, they've shown lots of tests where like, if they, they put the CO2 monitor in behind the mask, and if, if it was a factory, they would shut the factory down because there's so much CO2 there. So some of these young kids, 
have grown up when their brain was developing with not enough oxygen for their brain to develop properly. And so you look at this and you think, okay, we had no science at all that proved the masks actually worked. You know what I mean? The, the, you know, and, and yet, so we've, we've had two, gen, you know, two years of kids spent two years wearing masks at a time when they're, were, were, were we starving their brains for oxygen? We don't know. Like the jury's out on that. But boy, we, we, like, you look at this government and they have, they have imposed some restrictions on us that, I mean, like I wouldn't have the nerve to call myself a conservative government after some of the things they've done to our uh, small businesses. And one of my friends said, well, aren't I going to divide the right? I said, well, no, I think Danielle Smith's dividing the left between her and Rachel. <laughs> um. The other thing that's come up recently, and I, I, if you watch elections regularly, you know there's something that always rises to the forefront, something that people maybe didn't see coming. And that, for me in Alberta, is crime. I mean, we have a taxpayer association in, in, or a group in, in Alberta saying, when a candidate comes to your door, the first question you should be asking them is, what are you going to do about crime? And... I don't feel like crime has ever been a real big surprise in this area because we've been dealing with rural crime for years and years. But since it's become a big problem on public transportation in Edmonton and Calgary, it has risen to the forefront. What's, what's the wild rose strategy to deal with crime? Well... Like the short answer, which is sort of a joke, but but my friend says you don't have to hang everybody; you just have to hang somebody, and everybody pays attention. And like, and what I mean by that is we have to be a lot tougher on crime. Like when I was your age, and if somebody would have said, "Well, has, has anybody been broken into or anything?" and you say, well, "You know, I don't know," and you say, "Well, Pat, like, do you know anybody who's been broken into?" Well, now you like if you say if you said, "Well, do you know anybody who hasn't been broken into?" you'd say, "Well." No, I don't think so. Maybe, you know what I mean? And you're right. It, it, it's unbelievable. And see, like, th there's a few things here. One, like, uh, and this is, a lot of this is, is federal jurisdiction. But, like, a lot of these people, like, uh, like I, I guess it was in the States where the fellow, the, uh, you know, that just died on the... Uh, you know, on the subway, like the fellow, you know, held him down and then he died. The Michael but, Jackson impersonator. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, he'd been he'd been arrested 48 times and let out on bail each time, and and I look at I look at crime, and uh, and uh, like I think you should only get parole like once in your lifetime, your early parole. Like you, you make a mistake, you know, you're young, you make a mistake, you go to jail and say, okay, you've behaved yourself, like you, you get out early. But if you come back here again, like you're going to serve all of your first, you're going to serve the rest of your first sentence and you're going to serve all of this one. And this was actually at a Lee and Benoit meeting. I wasn't there, but uh, I heard the story and it was a good story. And this fella said, uh, and this goes back to the lash. And he said, uh, he said, uh, when I was a kid, he said I was happily on the road to a life of crime. And he said, uh, I ended up getting, you know, I get, getting caught. And he said, I got two lashes and two years in jail. And he said, the first lash hurt so bad that he said I would have sooner stayed in jail the rest of my life than take the second lash. But he said, unfortunately, he said they gave me my second lash and sent me on my way. But he said, when I left there, he said, I knew one thing. He said, I knew I would never be back again. And he said, like he said, we, when we talk about, when we talk about, the cost of crime. We always talk about, well, you know, they stole my vehicle, they stole this. But he said, he said, not only did, like he said, we talk about what, like what it costs the thing. He said, they didn't just save society a lot of break-ins and a lot of things. He said, they actually saved 
my life. And he said, like he said, I'm not proud of what I did to get the lashes. But he said, now I'm a 65-year-old man. I've got a wife and kids and grandchildren. And he said, I'm proud of the life I lived. And he said, the only reason I ended up living that good life is because somebody, like, didn't spoil, like, what do they say, spoil the rod and spare the child? He said, they gave me a lash and saved my life. And so, like, you know, we can have a public discussion on whether we need the lash or not. But I think we have to be... I think we have to be a lot tougher on the people who are committing the crimes so they know they don't want to come back again. Is there anything else, Danny, that I haven't asked you about that you, that you see a big difference in, whether it's, you know, from the UCP uh, candidacy or whether it's something that you want people to know about yourself? No, I actually think you've done a, a, a pretty good job of, of, of covering the issues that are important to the, the people that I know. And so, but I, you know, I, I've become a real believer in this. Like, I didn't used to believe in recall. Like, I really didn't. I'd say, well, you know, you could every, you know, you get, if you don't like them, you can fire them. But we're seeing what happens is, you know, you go along and you're upset about this and you're upset about that and you're upset about that. But then the election comes along and say, well, do you really want a new arena or don't you? Like, if you vote, like in Calgary, you vote for us, we're going to put the money into the arena. Think, yeah, well, I guess I could use an arena. You've sort of forgotten about all the things that, that weren't right. So uh, I really think that people should they should think about the recall. The other thing I'd like people to think about is voting. Because so many people say, oh, it, like it doesn't make any difference, like they're, they're all the same. And to a certain extent, we are. And, and what happens there is, like, and it, to me it comes from not being truthful. I mean, it comes, like Andrew Lawton has spoken at a few of our conferences, and he said, if, if you look at it, we are increasingly being governed by people who've never studied anything in their life except how to get elected. And they've got lots of clever ideas on how to get elected, but when push comes to shove, they don't really have a very good idea about how to, uh, how to uh, govern. But coming back to that, so you, you, you get like Danielle saying, oh, I believe in carbon net zero, and, well, and, and we, we're, we're sending out a poster. I mean, she feels like she has to say that because so many people in down Cal, downtown Calgary think she has to say that, and uh, so many people in Edmonton, maybe there's some close writings in Edmonton, they all believe in it, so she feels like she has to say it. So then you get some young person that comes along and they get involved in your campaign and or maybe even that the vaccines work and we should vaccinate everybody or whatever. They get involved in your campaign. They're all excited about changing the world for the better. And then they get study and they think, well, that isn't true. And that isn't true. They say, well, they were lying to me like they're all a bunch of shysters. You I mean, so when people ask me, like, how are, how are you going to how are you going to how are you going to get the, the youth to be interested in politics? I said, tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth, and then even if we don't win this time, they'll know we they know they'll know we were telling them the truth. Like uh, I got sort of initiated into uh, the uh, the politics in the when the Crow rate debate was on. In the this was the debate between the railways and the grain companies, you know, going back to the 70s. But anyway, when it was over, like our side won, and some of my friends said, "Well, like like how how did you guys know that?" And I said, "Well, we just looked at it and we studied like we studied the." 
you know, we studied the facts, we studied the economics of it, we took our emotion out of it, we weren't trying to get elected, we were just trying to represent farmers. And, and we, had, we had farmers that didn't have a grade night education that could debate with uh, the president of Saspool or the president of uh, the railway companies because they knew the issues. And, and the, they knew the issues because we had a fellow by the name of Chris Mills who was the, you know, the manager of our beef producers organization. And he just took us the facts and he just taught it to us. And so that, that's what we're trying to do here. We don't have any clever strategy. We just, we just want to tell people the truth. And we want to say, look, like, uh, if I don't keep my word, like, you can fire me. And I mean, our, our, uh, our recall pledge is right here. Like, I mean, you don't need legislation. You don't need legislation to have recall. All you need is to ask your uh, candidate, say, well, like, if, if I'm not happy with you, if 50% plus one of the people that vote actually sign a petition, will you step down and run in a by-election? And uh, if they say yes, you, you mean, you can, I mean, I would take Gar's word for it. If he said yes, I would do that. I would take, I would take it on a handshake. I don't think he needs to write it down. Just take his word for it. So I guess, I think what what makes I think what distinguishes us from uh, the, the UCP is we really are we're telling the truth about all these issues. Paul Paul has spent a lifetime. Uh, Paul's grandfather was actually the minister of finance under William Aberhart. So Paul has been going to political meetings since he was 14 years old. Like he's read Bastiat's The Law about how how government should work. You know what I mean? And. Uh, so he has spent his lifetime studying how to govern, and uh, he really has given a little bit of thought. And could I just give you one more quick, like, I mean, yeah. are you out of short of time or no? No, no, no. Sure. like, Paul, Paul was on the committee to... Uh, He's talking about Wild Rose Leader. The Wild, yeah, Paul, him and Wild yeah. Rose Leader, yeah. But he, he, he was elected in 2004, uh, and, uh, and he was on the committee, to, the, uh, the Auditor General stepped down. So he was on the committee to hire a new auditor general. So they went through and they got down to a short list. And, uh, and Paul said, well, I, I think we should, when we interview them, we should ask them what wage they would take to do this job at. Oh, no, you can't do that. There's a grid. We have to pay them whatever the grid is. Okay. So anyway, they, that was fine. He didn't win that argument. So anyway, they, they, they do their interviews and everything. They get down to one guy. And he said, okay, well, he said, I think we should ask him, like, what job, uh, like, what, what wage he would do this job at. Oh, you can't do that. There's a grid. This is just the way it is. So anyway, that was fine. They, they hired this guy. He said about two weeks later, he saw the guy in the elevator. He said, congratulations. He said, uh, uh, I want you to know I voted for it. He said, I was, I'm convinced you were the best guy for it. But he said, I have to tell you, he said, I wanted to ask you if you, like he went from, he, the, actually he was the assistant. He said, I wanted, I wanted to ask him if you would keep the job just at your assistance wages or if we had to pay you more. He said, oh, no, no, he said, I'd, he said, I love my job, he said, and uh, he said, uh, uh, I would have been happy to do it, like, basically for whatever price, but certainly at the wage I was getting. He said, uh, I've got, he said, there's no one in Alberta knows better than me that we're spending too much money. I would have been happy to do my share if anybody would have asked me. He said, I've got children and grandchildren. I'm hoping uh, they will uh, grow up in Alberta and we'll be able to provide services for them too. But see, nobody even thought to ask them. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, in fact, he was sort of mocked for saying, well, you can't do that. This is the way to do it. So I guess I, guess I just look at it and I say, you know, uh, 
you've heard that saying, if we don't start thinking outside the box, we're going to be in a box. And we really are in difficult times. I mean, we're, we're sort of, you know, we've all seen that, you know, uh, bumper sticker, please, please, God, let there be one more oil boom and I won't, you know, further it away this time. Well, quite frankly, the reason we have a balanced budget is because there's been one more oil boom, you know what I mean? But again, our spending is generally speaking out of control. And when they say we have a balanced budget, I'm not sure if we actually do. Like, see, uh, Stelmac, or maybe it was maybe it was Allison Redford or Stelmac. We actually went to two budgets. Like when Ralph Klein had a balanced budget, it was money in, money out. There's money left at the bottom. Well, then one of those governments went to where the, the six or seven billion dollar uh, infrastructure budget ended up being a separate budget. So when they like, I, I've been meaning to ask somebody, but like when they say the budget is balanced. I'll bet you a nickel that there's actually a six or seven billion dollar infrastructure budget where they're actually borrowing that money. Like I don't think I don't, I'm, I might be wrong on this, but I don't think where you could ask somebody if you want. But I mean, you, you see my point. I don't think we actually even have a balanced budget even at you know record oil prices because of this. You know, the infrastructure budget is now off to the side. So again, I think we're just we're we're trying to give we're trying to give Albertans an, uh, an option, and I hope they'll seriously consider. Uh, voting for me, uh, you as well. So anyway, uh, don't say I didn't ask you. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. That's Danny Hozak. Once again, Danny is running for the Wild Rose Party in the Vermilion, uh, Lloydminster and Wainwright constituency. The election is coming up on Monday and advance polls are open until Saturday. We'll be back with you tomorrow when we're going to talk about the uh, well, we're going to talk about something that's the first time ever in Lloydminster and that is the Border City Tattoo Expo. That's tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock right here from the new Lloydminster Nissan.